From the Atonement Fargo Studios on South University Drive in Fargo, North Dakota, this is That Podcast. Hey, to contact the crew, submit your questions or comments, go to atonement.live slash podcast questions. And now, here's those crazy people with That Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of That Podcast. My name is Ryan Janke, and soon I will be joined by Pastor DJ Lura and Sarah DeYoung. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of that podcast. My name is Ryan Janke, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor DJ Lura and Sarah DeYoung. And today's episode is brought to you by Pastor DJ Lura's liturgical hair gel. <laughs> So, I, I don't know how it can be liturgical. It's only one color. <laughs> well, I know, I know it's changing. That might it's change starting age. to look more and more silver. <laughs> you know, I want to bring something up. This is episode 13. 13, yep. Why Should we skip that? Yeah, why didn't we just go to episode 14? And, and why do buildings do that? Um, you ever been in a building, mm-hmm. like, like a hotel? Yep. If it has more than, I guess, 13 floors, mm-hmm. they skip 13 and it becomes 14. Superstition. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, I suppose it's got to be, right? Gosh. 13 was the year I graduated high school. Is that right? Yeah, so we had all of the jokes of, uh, we're going to make it lucky and blah, blah, blah. You're going to take it back? Yep. It's Yeah, yeah it's got to be a superstitious thing, doesn't it? That'd be a whole podcast right yeah. there. Well, it's a good thing we're not a superstitious and cowardly lot. Um, <laughs> we're only a little stitious. <laughs> <laughs> Not oh, superstitious. Yeah. A little stitious. Uh, well, before we get going today, I wanted to, um, in the intro, uh, there's some incorrect information that I wanted to correct real quick. Um, if you want to submit questions or comments, the address is actually atonement.live slash podcast question. Atonement.live slash podcast question. Uh, we'll get that fixed. And we'll also have that in the link in the description for the episode. So, um, and uh, today, we're going to talk about a book by Pastor DJ Lura called, So What's a Lutheran Don't You Know? Yes. Yeah. Don't you know. Don't you know. Now you're going to (laughs) know. Now you are going to know. So, uh, why the the title, So What's a Lutheran Don't You Know? So, um, this book, I I wrote this about uh, 10 years ago. And it actually started as a monthly newsletter article for uh, my church's monthly newsletter. I was at a church where they sent out a newsletter every month. And I'd been there a couple of years. And um, one thing I've, I've found with church newsletters is it gets difficult to think up something to write every, every month. And I was teaching a class on um, – well, I was teaching Alpha – at the time, which is a great, great, uh, I don't even want to call it like a, like a study. It's like, it's, it's a, a, a small group ministry, kind of a, a place to rekindle your, your faith in Jesus Christ to get on fire for the gospel. Um, and then I was going to uh, give them something beyond that and go deeper into a bit of, of Lutheran theology by teaching the um, Augsburg Confession. And so it started as a monthly newsletter article that I just titled. I was in a Scandinavian Lutheran church in Minnesota. And so, uh, so what's a Lutheran, don't you know, with a question mark, mm-hmm. playing a little bit off of the, the Scandinavian um, stereotypes, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just kind of caught on that way and, and stuck. And uh, I wrote about... I think maybe 12 or 13 articles. Blogs? Was it like a blog post kind of, or did this kind come out in? in it, a- it came out in paper form. This okay. was pre-blog. Uh, You're so, a pioneer. Yeah, you right. didn't even know it. Uh, well, one of the neighboring pastors in the area was um, Pastor Steve King, who also was the, um, the first editor-in-chief and, and kind of the, the founder of Sola Publishing. And he reached out to me and said, um, would I be interested in writing a, a series on the Augsburg Confession for Sola Publishing? Um, what ended up happening is uh, he, I, I, he took my, my writings and I began 
writing on each of the articles and put them into the leader's guide for a Bible study um, on the Augsburg Confession. And so I had this book basically in my computer. Mm -hmm. And about a year later, I thought, well, I'm just going to publish this. So I did. I made it into an an e-book. And it was during a time when... um, Um, I was a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and there were a lot of questions about what does it mean to be a Lutheran as that church was um, uh, going through questions of the authority of Scripture and and really kind of Lutheran identity and what it would mean for that church going into the future. Um, And so I I published this book just to be another voice out there to say, if you want to know what it means to be a Lutheran, you got to go back to kind of the first documents that defined the Lutheran f- tradition. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, going back to the Augsburg Confession. Uh, it's kind of the Declaration of Independence of Lutherans from the Church Catholic um, because it was a response to the wider church when asked, what is it that you Lutherans believe, teach, and confess? Mm-hmm. Well, the Augsburg Confession was the answer to what we believe, teach, and confess in the evangelical movement known as the Lutheran Church. Okay. So um, you uh, you said you started it 10 years ago. When did it get published? Like, uh, I think I published it in 2011. Okay. So how long did it take you? How, did, how long did it take you? Like how long was the, was the process? Um, writing it took about a year, and part of that was just with, with the normal duties of serving as a pastor in a church, um, it was kind of something I was writing on the side um, for the first probably six months, and then I began speeding up to finish it. The Ar- uh, Augsburg Confession is 28 articles, and I think there are, in my little book, there are um, 30 sections, including an introduction and a conclusion, mm-hmm. um, 30 or 31. Um, and... I probably got it, it all done and published um, about a year. Okay. So um, is it ex- exclusively available on Amazon? Or Yep. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you can find that on Amazon. Uh, I've never gotten around to getting it published in hard copy because I'm, I'm just lazy. <laughs> I got well, more important things to do. Well, so. it, it, it is an easy read, and it's uh, I really liked it because uh, because of that, and you have it broke down. Um, you have the the article, and then you have your commentary on it. Right. And what I found helpful when I read it was to read the article, read your commentary, and then go back and read the article again because then it made a lot more sense mm-hmm. because you're reading, you know, the Augsburg Confession was written in 500 years ago, right? 1526. Yeah. So uh, it did help a lot to mm-hmm. go back and read it after the commentary. Right, and it was written, um, a little bit of history of this, when the Augsburg Confession was written, it's called the Augsburg Confession because it's a confession of faith that was given at the Diet of Augsburg. There was this um, meeting of the church and the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire of Germany Mm -hmm. um, to answer the Lutheran question. Um, that had been going on since 1517 when Luther published the 95 Theses, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luther was under the ban at this time. This meant that if you were a loyal citizen of the empire of Germany, um, you were required to kill Martin Luther on sight. Um, so after 1521, for five years, Luther never left uh, Saxony where he was from, because there he was under the protection of the ruler of that land, Prince Frederick, um, the wise, as he's known. And so Luther didn't attend the Diet of Augsburg. Um, But by that point, by that time, um, there was enough theological minds that were a part of the Lutheran Reformation that were able to represent um, the Lutheran churches and princes and rulers of their different municipalities. And it was... Um, written by another professor in Wittenberg with Luther whose name was Philip Melanchthon. Mm-hmm. And Philip Melanchthon was much more of a systematic theologian than Martin Luther was. Martin Luther was a, uh, a confessing theologian. He, he had no problem with things being in disagreement with each other. 
uh, he had no problem with two things being true at the same time, that you are a completely um, uh, sinful person with nothing good in you, and at the same time, a completely holy uh, person in Christ who is simultaneously saint and sinner. Luther had no problem with that. Systematic theologians like to move things like in a line. A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that really try to explain God and his hiddenness. And so um, Philip Melanchthon ended up writing two of the confessing documents of the Lutheran Church, uh, three of them actually, um, but concerning the Augsburg Confession, he wrote the Augsburg Confession. And then after the Diet of Augsburg, uh, which was a, a, a confutation by the church was written, which basically said, you Lutherans got it all wrong. He wrote something called the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, which is an even longer document giving justification for why we believe what we believe according to Holy Scripture and the church tradition. You can think of Philip Melanchthon as kind of like Robin to Martin Luther's Batman. Mm. Uh, that's that's <laughs> how they've influenced the, the trajectory of uh, what we call the Lutheran Church 500 years later. Okay. Um, do you have any questions yet, Sarah? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Mine come later on in the confessions. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so um, just some things about about the writing and everything. What was the process like? I mean, did you learn... Did you learn new things? Did you uh, was there things that were frustrating? Things that challenged you about everything, or or uh, how did that play out for you? Well, I found for me going to seminary was very much about learning to be Lutheran, and I absolutely ate this stuff up. Like mm-hmm. it, I went, um, uh, how how does Forrest Gump put it? Uh, you, you wouldn't know it to look at me, but I can run like the wind blows. <laughs> yeah. um, I can read Lutheran theology like the wind blows, I guess. And I just, I loved it. And it put, it gave me language to confess and convey the faith that I have in my heart that I didn't understand. So um, for me, in seeing the direction of the ELCA, the church that I grew up in, and how um, the modern church was calling itself Lutheran, but there were so many different opinions as to what that meant. It's like, you know, well, what, what, how can we know what does it mean to be Lutheran? You have to go back to the starting point. Um, and the starting point is the Lutheran confessions. So for me, the, the, the fun part was trying to take this writing that's incredibly theologically packed. Mm-hmm and unpack that and convey it in such a way that it's easy for anyone to understand, not just a trained theologian or seminarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really what I aimed to do with the book. I was writing it for people in the congregation I was serving. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was writing a dissertation or anything like that. And so I aimed to do that. And, and one thing about the Lutheran tradition that I think can get lost is that it's okay to have humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and joy in writings. They don't have to be just stale theological treatises of rules that you need to follow and so on and so forth. There's, it's, much, it's much grander than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so writing, writing this first book was, was not that hard. Mm-hmm. It just, uh, you know, the time that you put into such things can, can take a while, and thankfully I was able to do it over a long period of time. I wasn't under a time crunch of any kind. Right. Well, you did a really good job about I- explaining them. Thank uh, you. It was, it's really easy to follow. And uh, Sarah and I were talking about this, I think, yesterday. Well, I, and I will add one thing to that. I think I was reading one of the Harry Potter books at the time. So I, <laughs> I wanted each one of the, the chunks to be short. I didn't want them to be long chapters on one subject, just short, sweet, to the point. And so that's what I was trying to do too. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was just going to say. Sarah and I were talking about it yesterday that you can, I got 10 minutes, I'll read, you know, I can read one of the, one of the commentaries, you know, or, or two of them or whatever. So it's, um, it's, it's really good. It, and, and I learned a lot that, you know, being a Lutheran my whole life as well, there was a lot that I, well, yeah, I already knew that, but there was some stuff that I got to that, you know, clarified some things. So. Yeah, it was really good. Mine was the same, and Ryan and I were talking about this too, is it's very, because so Ryan read it as, would read the confession, read your explanation, go back, and I was like, 
for me, it was easy to kind of just skim the confession, skip over the big words that don't make a lot of sense if for the plain day English. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the explanation and you can kind of think back and you're like, oh yeah, that all makes sense now. Mm -hmm. So it's a good, good bite-sized edible book. Well, and and I will say, praise God, if anything that uh, I put on paper uh, points you to Jesus, and that's a that's a Holy Spirit thing, as you uh, had mentioned, there there seems to be an ongoing theme within the Augsburg Confession about the work of the Holy Spirit. There is. Um, what one more thing before we get there, because that's yeah, we're we're gonna get there. Um, but what I another thing that I really liked about it is you didn't just explain uh, what a Lutheran is but you also explained what a Lutheran is not. So that when there were things that might be tough to grasp, you said, well, we're, you know, a Lutheran is not like these, this right. group who thinks this or whatever. And sometimes that really helped to, to understand. Well, and that's really the form that the confessing documents take. If you think about um, writings that help to explain what it means to be a Christian, uh, you, have, you have the creeds. And what are the creeds? The creeds, um, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed are ancient confessions of faith going back to the earliest days of Christianity that says two things. It says what Christians believe and what Christians do not believe. And each one of the lines of the Apostles' Creed is also a refutation of a heresy or a false teaching about Jesus. For example, when it says he was um, born of the Virgin Mary— and suffered under Pontius Pilate. One, it puts Jesus in an historical context that this person actually existed in time and space. Mm-hmm. And two, that he was born, that he was truly human, which was a rejection of the Gnostic heresy. The fun thing about heresies is that they never go away. They just take on a different form. Um, you know, we, we are all sinners. And so rather than looking at God where he wants to be, we'll look in every other direction yeah. and make that into our God until God finally tackles us through, through his son, Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so it's important to be able to show, you know, not only is this what we believe, but we're not saying that we agree with this group. We're, mm-hmm. This is actually a rejection of this group. So the way the articles, articles mean... Um, topics, mm-hmm. I guess, or statements of faith. There's 28 of them in the, in the Augsburg Confession. Um, the way they're written is to say what it is that we affirm, and then to say rejected, therefore, are this, 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 and this. And mm-hmm. so I wrote the explanation in that same way because it's kind of hard to read it in the article because it, a lot of it is the language of the people at that time that they would understand. Right. Um, especially the theologians. Whereas nowadays, do we have heresies that are being taught even in the church or in other places um, that we take and think, oh, this is what a Christian looks like, not according to what we believe, teach, and confess. What the world thinks a Christian is is not necessarily what a Christian is. Yeah. Did did he swipe all that away from you, Sarah? Well, I think he took, like, we're peeking at my notes or something because that was one of my first questions is I had never really heard about heresy before this. So I was wondering about like, how did it become that these were determined that that's what it is? Question part a, and then is it different for each kind of denomination or like Christianity pool of people? So what, what the, what the Augsburg Confession was arguing is that we are truly in line with the historic, Catholic, Orthodox, Christian, apostolic faith. That's what they're, That's the point that they were making to the church Catholic, that the church had swayed into error and that the, the Lutheran, as they were called, um, movement was, a, was an evangelical movement to return Christianity to the authority of Scripture, and that Scripture then judges these things. Well, how do the heresies get named? They actually get named by church tradition, by history, as there were controversies that came up in Christianity right at the beginning, like from the book of Acts moving forward. Um, Wherever God sets up his church, the devil likes to set up a chapel. And false teaching could have 
um, to use a fancy word, deleterious, deleterious consequences to a person's faith if they begin living in such a way that is contrary to the gospel. Um, Because that's how the devil likes to get us. He likes to drive us into doubt of God's grace or to drive us into pride of not needing God's grace and therefore can get us to nudge away from God and hopefully plug our ears to the gospel that God wants us to hear. And so um, showing these distinctions are absolutely necessary in order to protect faith and to protect the, the proclamation of the gospel. What the Reformers saw were real abuses happening in the Church Catholic that they would see were entering into error and heresy as the official teachings of the Church. And where they would go to point it out is to say, remember St. Augustine, remember St. Jerome, remember St. Athanasius? All the saints of the Church agree with us in calling what this is being done a heresy. While at the same time, from 1517 to 1526, I mean, Luther was excommunicated for heresy. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so now I have to defend myself. What are you saying I am doing that is heresy? And so it was having to explain clearly, no, what, we're, what, we, are, what we believe, teach, and confess in the Lutheran churches is in line with Scripture mm-hmm. and with the earliest church tradition, not with certain papal decrees or, or council decisions, because that's how these things were worked out, were in a council of the church that had begun to contradict themselves in the 1,500 years that they'd been having them. Okay. Understand? So when you had Christianity become Christendom and become incredibly powerful, well, Christianity and the church itself became wrapped up in uh, political power and controversy, and so you had all kinds of messes that were happening in the name of Jesus that Luther um, was pointing out in the 95 Theses, primarily the selling of indulgences and the idea that you can buy your forgiveness, mm-hmm. and pointing how this is wrong and why it hurts people. Well, that brought the entire power of the church down on him because it was a threat to power. Right. So what the Augsburg Confession aims to do is to lay out we believe, teach, and confess in line with the historic church and the scriptures, the truth. And we are not committing heresy. Rather, anyone who holds to these other positions is entering into heresy. Heresy is false teaching. But there's another word, too, called heterodoxy, which um, basically means it's not, it's not heresy, but it's it's a faulty teaching about something. That's heterodoxy. Mm-hmm. And what the, the Augsburg Confession is doing is, is pointing out professed heresies, official heresies of the church as well, that the church has named throughout history, Gnosticism, Valentinianism, Eunomianism, Arianism, all these things, um, but also heterodoxy or faulty teaching. It's not... It's not a straight-out denial of the truth of Jesus Christ, but it's just an error enough to cause all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. So you said that heresy still happens mm-hmm. today, right? Mm. Oh, you so bet. who is in charge of kind of calling that out, fixing it, who et cetera? The, the heretical police? Yeah. Or who? Well, and that's always the, a dangerous is, thing when you... There a no one expects Voltori the Spanish or? Inquisition because that's originally... <laughs> The, the Spanish Inquisition was the heretic police during Luther's time. Okay. Um, for, for Lutherans, ultimately the authority of the word of God is the final source and norm on which all behavior and teaching of Christians is to be judged. Well, how, how do you figure out what that is? Well, first of all, it's reading the Bible, but it's having conversations among Christians because if someone is, you know, the Bible says... Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Um, if there are Christians that are thinking, hey, it's okay, you know, it's okay to, in this, in this 21st century, you know, to, to sleep around with a bunch of people. Well, it's the job of the church to, to call that out for what it is and to point to the word of God as to why this is not good for you. This is actually harmful for you. The trouble is when the church starts teaching heresy, at which point God's people are to be the check on that. 
This actually comes up in Article 28 of the Oxford Confession, mm-hmm. where it talks about the power of the bishop. Historically, bishop, pastor, um, preacher, elder, these are synonymous terms in the Bible. Um, apostle. As the church grew, the title of bishop became one of kind of like um, like a superintendent. They're the overseer. Bishop means overseer. Or the pastor to many churches. The pastor to the pastors. So you could kind of think of it this way. Paul would have been a bishop in the way that the Augsburg Confession looks at it. When he planted all these churches and empowered Timothy to go and be a pastor at one and Titus to go and be a pastor at one, in that sense, Paul becomes a bishop. He's not greater than his pastors or the congregants. He just has a specific role. And the specific role for a bishop is to make sure that the churches are teaching rightly, are teaching orthodoxy, right teaching. Mm-hmm. Now, now um, Article 28 says, if the bishop is doing their job correctly, fine and good. However, if the bishop is not keeping pastors in line who are teaching error, then it's the job of the congregations to keep the bishops and the pastor in line so that the final authority in all matters is the Bible. Not only should the bishop be keeping the congregants in line with the Bible, pastors should be doing that with their congregations, and the congregants should be keeping their leaders accountable as well. So the Bible becomes the final judge. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's messy. It's yeah. very messy, <laughs> which is different than the Catholic Church where the the Episcopal structure of it, mm-hmm. no, the Pope's got the final word. Yeah. If he says you're a heretic, you're a heretic. Luther's response was um, uh, the Pope is the Antichrist. I mean, that was that's that's how Luther... <laughs> He he was he was kind of a, a Trump like character you could say if you he'd hit you back twice as hard. Um, that was the German I would say. But yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but Luther was so convinced by Scripture that even the Pope he would say you know if you're not going to um, keep the gospel front and center and you're not going to teach the things of Christ then you are against Christ. And that's how he understood antichrist, not the way we understand it today, yeah. but that you are against Christ. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be called out on that. And Luther always held that scripture itself would justify itself if people could read it for themselves. Yeah. Interesting. Well, since uh, since we kind of um, bounced toward, uh, towards the end, uh, I was going to get here anyway. Oh, are we done already? All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Oh, no. Oh. No, no. We'll just work our way from the back to the front then. Um, I got to pull this book up. And again. <laughs> so there are some, um, I mean, some of the articles are, uh, um, I think earlier when I was talking to Pastor Cross, um, my my the way that I thought of it is, uh, uh when this when this stuff got out, uh, there were likely some people smashing their coffee cups against the wall. I would say, yeah. uh, and and it's even um, uh, it's even when you get to um, is it the to, part about the lutefisk and the Jello not earning uh, brownie points? Lutef- Lutefisk <laughs> I have problems with that. Lutefisk is Jello, I would say, uh, uh, and not <laughs> of a, Jello, not of a good sort either. Um, once you get to well, here in in uh, twenty two. Um, the headline even says disputed articles <laughs> listing the abuses that have, that have been corrected. Yeah. Um, but you can go back to 21, I would say where it, it really, it caught my attention, um, that it, it kind of gets a little, a little heated up, um, wh- where it says, um, sorry, I'm getting back there. The, uh, concerning the cult of the saints. Yeah. Um, so the interesting piece there is, um, that, you know, reading it, it's, you know, he's Luther, Luther is saying, don't, don't be praying to, to the deceased, correct? Or even, you know, is the cult of the saints, you know, now when we talk about the community of saints, that's all of us, 
Yeah, the communion of saints is is all believers in Christ throughout time and space. Right. So those who have entered the tr- the church triumphant, in other words, those who have died, mm-hmm. um, and those who are uh, part of part of the the church on earth mm-hmm. are all are all part of the communion of saints. Yeah. So the cult of the saints would be. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, this comes a bit into church dogma at the time, and and one thing that I would, I, I would presage right at the beginning of this book, I say, be warned. Mm-hmm. In reading these, you may be shocked. You may want to throw your cup, uh, because you may never have heard this before, uh, because it is shocking stuff. Um, it's not, it's not the general idea of what most people think Christianity is all about. It's much more radical than that about how God works faith in the hearts of a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, uh, a Lutheran way of speaking it is that I don't just come to believe in Jesus. God kills you and raises you up through his word and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old is is dead and done. Mm-hmm. And so... Leave it there and let the new man live. Um, with the cult of the saints, you had a different, I'm looking for the right word, but a different idea of, of how you earn God's favor, how you enter into God's good graces. That, that's the issue at hand. And in the Catholic Church, and again, uh, I, I, I don't know if you can say that the, the modern version of of the Roman Catholic Church is the same as the 1500s version. I, right. I just, you know, we need to call on a priest and speak to them about some of these things. Um, but the the basic paradigm was, in this life, you needed to do a few things. You needed to get baptized. And when you were baptized into the church, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you were forgiven of original sin. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's the sin that we have acquired uh throughout all of humanity because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve at the beginning. Okay. And that's the, the original sin is I just don't trust God to be God. As soon as you're baptized, your original sin is forgiven. Well, what happens if I sin after my baptism? Well, the church had a mechanism for that as well. You had to earn merit by doing different things that the church commanded you to do, such as going to Mass or going to worship, receiving the Lord's Supper, um, engaging in confession with a priest, as well as penance. Penance being something that you do, whether it's, you know, um, a good penance, I think, in North Dakota, is that if you're angry at your neighbor and you go and confess that to your priest, your priest could say, all right, now tomorrow I want you to get up and go shovel their driveway. (laughs) <laughs> and that's the penance for the anger you feel in your heart. And you know what? It makes you feel better. You've done mm-hmm. something. You know, we always want to do something, mm-hmm. especially if we feel guilt over having wronged somebody. Um, but along with that is, in order to earn favor, you could engage in pilgrimages to holy sites where relics were kept. And this was big business. Um, you can make some serious dough if you have a relic of that goes back to an apostle or like the Shroud of Turin or something, something like that. Or, or, you know, how did Luther put it? We have enough nails from the cross of Christ to shoe all the horses in Saxony. <laughs> because you would go to these places, right, and you would pay money. How, how would you know whether it's legitimate or not? Well, the church said it. L- Luther had many funny lines uh, like I, that. He's I great to read. I'm imagining Luther as... Um, Oh, what's that show? It's on TLC about the pawn shop in Vegas where it's like the four people. Oh, yeah. Um, um, and the boss, people will be like, oh, this was like, this was the box of chocolates from the movie Forrest Gump. And he just was like, yeah, we'll bring somebody and we'll look at that. Right. Like, that that's was, Luther. That, that was, exactly. That was Pawn Stars. Yeah. But I may actually use that if if it, I'll keep that in, in the memory bank. <laughs> if I'm somewhere and there's a bunch of nails. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, and so... Um, if you paid money and you received a relic that was tied to a saint, then you were supposed to receive good fortune. And there were saints for all kinds of causes. I mean, St. Nicholas, uh, the saint of children. We all know St. Nicholas by his uh, more popular alias in the United States, uh, Santa Claus, yeah. you know. Um, uh, St. Christopher, 
the patron saint of of, tr- of what is Saint Christopher? There's there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's uh, Saint Anna, you know, the the patron saint, I believe, of travelers, or maybe Christopher's of travelers. And so, if you were going on a journey, you would say a prayer for protection to or venerate the um, patron saint of whatever that cause may be. Um, Luther was named after a saint. He was named after St. Martin. Okay. And was christened St. Martin in honor of St. Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so this was big business, and it was a way to earn merit because when you die, you don't go directly to heaven or hell. Um, if you are a an unbaptized heathen sinner, then you go straight to hell when you die. Mm-hmm. If you're a Christian, you don't go to heaven. You go to, I think of it kind of like the the waiting room to heaven that was called purgatory. Mm-hmm. And in purgatory, you would have all of your sins that you had accumulated after your baptism and not forgiven on account of the merit that you had earned burned out of you before you enter into the, the pearly gates. So, I mean... Um, it, it was it was like if you go to a pilgrimage to Rome and you visit the holy sites of these different saints, then you'd earn like you know they'd give you give you a little note saying you've earned a hundred years out of purgatory mm-hmm. or a million years out of purgatory, um, and and this was the sale of indulgences was tied into the cult of the saints, and Luther saw this as not only unbiblical but anti-Christian because your faith didn't rest in Jesus Christ alone and what he did for you on the cross. It rested in what you had done to earn your merit before God. Because the saints were so holy, they had merit to spare. Mm -hmm. So if you prayed to whatever the saint may be that the church had sanctioned, you would receive merit or good fortune or blessing. Um, A very um, superstitious way of, of looking at religion and faith. Mm. Um. Obviously, we could. I mean, we could have a thirty episode. Uh, I think we have a Halloween episode coming <laughs> up about superstition and Christianity. Well, and and the Lutheran position is is a very faithful one, but also um, they take an interesting tack concerning the saints. In the Catholic Church, you have to earn sainthood, and I think um, I may be wrong about this. I, I think. JP two, uh, Pope John Paul II mm-hmm. has been sainted, mm-hmm. I think, and part of becoming a saint is I think you have to perform like three miracles, three recognized miracles mm-hmm. in your life. Um, there was this place of earning sainthood. Luther said, "No, in Jesus Christ alone, you are a saint." Mm-hmm. The communion of saints, right? You know, going back to the Apostles' Creed, and Luther said, "We should." Um, or I should say the reformer said, we should look at the saints in order to encourage our faith. Not that we earn anything from them, but as a good example that we are to follow for the sake of our own faith growth. That, you know, uh, think of someone who's, who's really, um, you look at them and say, you know, that's what a Christian looks like. Maybe it's grandma. Um, well, of course you should remember how great grandma was and seek to emulate grandma but you don't earn your salvation by praying to grandma mm-hmm. or asking grandma to help you. Rather, they serve it as an example in order to strengthen our faith, to continue um, carrying our cross faithfully and following Jesus every day of our lives. Yeah. That was, um, you know, each one of, each one of these is, is like that. You break it down into plain language mm-hmm. so that, you know, we can, we can understand that. Like you, I think, uh, you did use the example of being like grandma mm-hmm. in, in, in the book. Um, so I have a, a, another question about, uh, you know, if you go to 22 uh, concerning both kinds of sacrament, uh, that, that sort of called out uh, the church Catholic for um, the priest distributing the bread, but then drinking the wine for himself on behalf of uh, the, the lady. The, the, yeah. yeah. Yep. The, uh, the non-clergy. Right. Yep. Uh, you go to uh, 23, talks about, um, you know, why can't priests be married? Right. You know, it's just, you know, it's it's one after the other all the way to the end now, starting at about 21. What was the fallout 
Oh, not good. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's just put it this way. Um, the, the Lutheran faith was condemned as anathema, and it was out of the... See, at, at that time, you had these little, like, kingdoms all over that were a federation. They were, they were collected together in what was known as the Holy Roman Empire of Germany, and the emperor was elected by a few of the princes that had the title of elector, not just prince or duke or count, but elector. And um, at the time of the Lutheran Reformation, Charles V, the king of Spain, was the elected emperor over all of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, this the Holy Roman Empire did not include... Um, France, it did not include uh, England, but it was pretty much the rest of Europe. And the one who, um, I guess, puts the crown on the head of the emperor is the pope. And so there's always this kind of uh, um, uh, synergistic relationship between the emperor emperor and, and the pope in how they interacted with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lutheran question was answered with, it is anathema. And if it wasn't for the local rulers saying, no, we're going to allow this in our kingdom, in mm-hmm. our principality like Saxony or these other places, um, they all would have been um, taken out for sedition and insurrection. And it led to a war that the Lutherans lost. But there was this thing called the Augsburg Interim, and this was after Luther was already dead. Luther died in 1546. Charles V had gotten done fighting against the Turks and against the French and against the English and turned his sights back much later in his, in his rule at the Lutheran question and went to war against the princes of the Lutheran churches. And they bound together and became this thing called the small-called um, union, the small Caldic union. It was an agreement that we're going to stand with each other against opposition because we believe this. We believe that, that the evangelical faith is true to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up uh, that they lost, but there was a kind of a stalemate, and it was agreed upon that, yeah, you Lutherans can worship the way that you want. Uh, just knock it off and, you know, yeah. And you know this this led to the thinking in the United States those examples as to why we have freedom of religion in the United States to say the state is not going to establish an official church. Right. So that the idea of churches and what you believe teach and confess is placed in the marketplace in the the marketplace of ideas in our country mm-hmm. to convince people Come and be a part of what we're doing. Come yeah. and be a part of the gospel as we confess it, as we understand it. That's why there's so many different churches in the United States and why we have the First Amendment is because of things like the the small called war and the hundred years war mm-hmm. that all came up with the issue of religious liberty. It's amazing that we're sitting here as Lutherans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you explain everything that, that went on, yeah. that it didn't just fall apart, you know, Early on. like, gave up on it. Yeah. Well, thankfully, the Germans uh, had uh, converted the Scandinavians, and the Scandinavians <laughs> came to the rescue after the small Caldic Union collapsed. Well, and Scandinavians and German, those are two class of very stubborn people. Oh, so sure. So that's probably also a blessing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not stubborn. Oh. No, hard-headed. <laughs> Not hard-headed either. I'm know. the most open-minded person I know. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Well, uh, you know, like I said, we could have a 30-episode a uh, series on this. But uh, one thing that really caught my attention, a lot of the articles sort of um, continuously, there's sort of a theme, and they point back to Article 5. And I want to just read, um, I want to read from, from the article itself, um, and my internet is giving me troubles right now, so it's taking just a second. But um, it talks about the Holy Spirit, and here, here it is. This is from Article 5. 
of the Augsburg Confession. For through the word and the sacraments as through as through instruments the Holy Spirit is given, who affects faith where and when it pleases, when and where it pleases God in those who hear the gospel, that is to say, in those who hear that God, not on account of our own merits, but on account of Christ, justifies those who believe that they are received into grace on account of Christ. So it talks about the Holy Spirit, um, um, where and when it pleases God uh, to... Um, you know, uh, enter people. Yeah. So if you look at the first part of this, it says, so that we may obtain this faith. Um, you're really close. Article 5 and many of the articles that follow talk about how faith comes to you, but it all builds on Article 4 concerning justification or concerning how you're made right with God. Um, this is the article that Martin Luther said is the chief article on which the church stands or falls. And what does it say? It says that you are not saved by what you do. You are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And that word sola, alone, is really important um, because we like to add things in order to justify ourselves. Uh, the Catholic Church taught that you're saved by grace through faith and works. Luther rejected that outright for the reasons that we've already mentioned about earning merit to earn a place in God's God's grace. Luther found in reading scripture that faith alone justifies. It's what justified Abraham. It's what justifies anyone before Jesus. Jesus says, those who believe will be saved. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say those who believe and are really good people will be saved. So what follows in Articles 5 moving forward is how do we obtain faith? Mm -hmm. Now, the temptation of the sinner is to think that faith is a work that I create, as if it's a feeling inside of me, and if I can just muster up some faith, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you know, we hear that and we think, oh, I can just a little bit of faith. Um, But if you read Scripture closely, Faith is not something we do. Faith is something that we acquire outside of ourselves through a word. Now, throughout the Bible, God does stuff. You ever notice how God does stuff? Mysteriously. By speaking. (laughs) By speaking. Mm -hmm. God, all the actions that he does in the Old Testament, he does through words. Let there be light. There's light. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, God announces something, and Abraham heard it, and it was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. You know, God speaks Mm -hmm. it, and it happens. Right. So this continues today in a very real way, not in an abstract way. God's not speaking in your head. Mm -hmm. That might be just voices in your head. (laughs) But rather, God speaks a word outside of you through ordinary means or what, what, what the article here calls instruments of God's grace, a word preached and a word given through what we call a sacrament. A sacrament is a physical word of God. Mm-hmm. It's an item that has God's word attached to it in such a way that when you receive it, you can be assured that your sins are forgiven and you have received God's grace in that moment. When you hear a word preached, and that word is the announcement of the good news of Jesus Christ, Well, that's God showing up to you right where you're at through a word. And that word usually sounds like this. Jesus Christ died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Now, it's not the pastor that has the authority to forgive sins. It's the word of Christ that the pastor has been authorized to speak that forgives sins. When Jesus says, uh, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's, that's what that means. It's the office of the keys. And the job of the preacher is to forgive the sinner. Well, that's what the ministry of the church is. It's announcing that the new kingdom has already begun through faith long before it's going to come to sight. Now, if you enter the church triumphant, you will see with your eyes. You will see the goodness of God. But in this life, until Christ comes again, we live by faith alone in Jesus Christ, 
trusting the word that, we, that creates what it requires. If I say to you, Jesus died for you, your sins are forgiven, and you believe that, well, that's a Holy Spirit miracle. Because what does it mean to be a sinner? A sinner does not trust God's word. But when the word breaks in on you that actually creates faith, well, that's the Holy Spirit working. I didn't choose that. It happened to me spontaneously. It's like the word love. If I said to my wife, I love you, or let me, let me put it a different way. If my wife says to me, I love you, and my response is, well, that's wonderful. <laughs> we should love everyone. She's probably going to punch me in the nose. It won't, it won't go well. <laughs> it won't end well. I will feel the wrath, right? Because um, that's not how it works. When a word is spoken, it creates spontaneously what it requires. I love you. If it's true, then the response is, I love you. Mm-hmm. That's not a choice. It happens. It's spontaneous. Now, cognitively, I can think, well, I, I accepted that. But, but it's, an ex- it's a passive acceptance. I didn't go to my wife and say, give me your love. <laughs> right? She said, I love you. And I passively received it through a spontaneous response of, I love you too. Mm-hmm. And improper response is, well, that's nice. Let me mull that over and see if I come up with a decision to agree with that or not. I'll get back to you. I'll get Thanks, back to you. Me too. The, you know, the decision is already made. Mm-hmm. And the way the confessions speak about those who do not come to faith, one, we don't know God's hidden will. We don't know that God is a God who chooses. And that's terrifying to us because it means God's not in our control. Mm-hmm. If God can choose... Well, then God can choose not to choose. What do you do with that? Ultimately, you fall down and you, you say, forgive me, a sinner, for not trusting you, God. I believe, help my unbelief. You know, mm-hmm. um, To leave such an important decision like your eternal salvation up to God is to be faithful to God's word when it comes. See, God loves you so much, he doesn't leave such an important decision up to you. He acts through the word preached and through the power of the Holy Spirit, a sinner does something miraculous. A sinner believes. That's a miracle. Yeah. Um, the doubter suddenly believes. The doubter is set free. And, and the, reason for, the reason we speak this way is because for Lutherans, we take sin so seriously that we say we are captive to sin. We're in bondage to it and cannot save ourselves. Think of it this way. It's like, well, does that mean that we're all puppets on a string? Like, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, responsible for the bad things that I choose to do? Well, your language implicates you. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever heard said to someone, oh, that's Johnny. He was bound to do it. <laughs> what do we mean by that? It's not like Johnny got into trouble, um, uh, you know, completely in an innocent way. It's saying, no, he's been looking for something to get into. He's bound to do it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know him. Um, that's what we mean as well. It's not that the devil makes us sin against God. It's that we're all too willing accomplices to the suggestion that we should turn away from God and go our own way. That's what we're bound to. That's the original sin. It's wanting to be our own gods. Well, and so God has to act in order to break in upon the sinner and set them free, to truly be free, to truly turn away from staring at their own belly buttons to love God and love their neighbor, God has to act. The best way I've heard this put, and the Augsburg Confession fleshes it out more, but the best way I've heard this put is that the way Martin Luther puts it in the small catechism, talking about the Holy Spirit. And people think that uh, Lutherans in the Christian spectrum are kind of weak on the Holy Spirit. We're not. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary because you cannot believe in Christ. You cannot understand the Holy Scriptures. You cannot... Uh, do anything in your, in your life without the Holy Spirit working upon you. Um, Martin Luther said, I cannot believe or come to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior without the Holy Spirit calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying me. And that's a, that's a real honest confession because it's saying, I believe in Jesus, and that's all God's doing. That's all, that, that's all that we mean by that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Just remember that it's a passive acceptance. Mm-hmm. If God hadn't called you through his word 
and enlightened your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would plug your ears and turn away. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that means. Okay. And if you're wondering about your neighbor, like, well, if God wants to save them, God will save them. No, that's to miss the point. God has called you into the business of working in that salvation opportunity by telling your neighbor the good news of Jesus. Yeah. Go tell them. Go tell them. And if you don't tell them and you know it, you know, I heard someone put it this way, you know, I spent my whole life not a Christian and I knew you and you were a good friend of mine and you've known Jesus your entire life. Why didn't you tell me about him if you knew that I would die and burn in hell without him? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, we have this good news. Right. Let them know. Yeah. And that's the evangelical message of, of the Reformation. Let your neighbor know the good news of Jesus Christ, not what you do. Yeah. Go tell them. Go tell them. Mm-hmm. Get out there and tell them. Yeah. Do you have any more questions, Sarah? No, I'm good. You're good? Yeah. All right. Well, um, the, the, the book is called So What's a Lutheran? Don't You Know? It's available on uh, Amazon.com. We'll put a link in the, in the description for this as well. I do have one more question for you on it, DJ. Uh, so it's been um, nine years since it was published. Yep. So it's, you know, obviously, what, 11, 12 years since you started writing it. Do you ever think, do you ever read it and think, gosh, I should go back and revise this? I should go back and, you know, I I, uh, I thought of something else I'd like to have in there. Or, like, now that we're doing uh, communion online, I should go in there and, and, and touch that up and, a bit. And bump that up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I can't say that I, the only thing that I thought about going about and revising is the introduction where I talk about the many different alphabet soup of Lutherans. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm an, uh, a pastor in Lutheran congregations in Mission for Christ, <laughs> and I feel like I should go put LCMC in there because I didn't have it in, in the original. Yeah. Um, aside from that, no, I, I've actually, um, in the grand scheme of things, this is one of four books that I have rolling around in my head mm-hmm. about the Lutheran Confessions. I've already written the second one. I just need to finish editing it. I've been editing it for like two years. (laughs) I told you I'm lazy. (laughs) Um, And that one is on the Formula of Concord, which is the last confession in in the Lutheran Confessions. Okay. Um, And in there, I touch on things and expand on things that are first mentioned in the Augsburg Confession because the Formula of Concord is an explanation of the Augsburg Confession. That's why it was written. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's more like it would be volume two. Like, so what's a Lutheran two? Okay. So what's a Lutheran, don't you know, a two? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, again, Amazon.com, it's $2.99. Is that what it is? That's, yep, $2.99. Unless you have... Get it uh, before I bump up the price (laughs) because of inflation over the last decade. You you almost could. You have any Uh, coupon codes, though, or... (laughs) Promo code. (laughs) Promo code uh, hair gel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, liturgical hair gel liturgical (laughs) liturgical hair gel if you have uh kindle unlimited it's free Mm -hmm. yep it's free if you have kindle unlimited so uh check that out again the link will be in the description um sarah would you like to pray us out today sure heavenly father we thank you for this time to meet and gather and we pray for those who are listening to this that they're blessed by the message and I thank you for DJ and his explanation on uh, what it means to be a Lutheran and even Luther who put it down into words for us first. And I thank you for Ryan for being kind of the brains behind this operation. And I ask that you be with us as we go about our weeks. And same for all those listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, amen, but you're the brains behind the operation. I, I no. just press the button. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank That's you for above my pay grade to press those <laughs> buttons. Uh, thanks for joining us today, and uh, don't forget that you can you can join us uh, for Sunday services uh, if if um, you you can't go out due to COVID or or any other reason. Um, you can join us every Sunday at atonement.live, atonementfargo.org, or on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube, you just search Atonement Fargo. Um, we have services uh, traditional at 9 a.m. and a modern service at 1030. Uh, And all of our past services are available on YouTube by searching Atonement Fargo. So for Pastor DJ Lura, uh, Sarah DeYoung, I'm Ryan Janke, and meet us back here next week for another riveting episode of
that podcast.